Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Good morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I am honored to share from God's Word uh, for the next little bit this morning. And if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning, first book of the Bible, probably just a page or two in for you. Genesis chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, and it's page 2, literally, in that Bible. So we're going right back to the beginning. Uh, We're going to be, for the next few Sundays, it's not a series. We don't really do series usually over the summer just because lots of people are away and and I'm away sometimes, and so it's kind of hard to get a teaching series going. But uh, the next few Sundays are sort of loosely going to be tied in together. So if you miss any of the Sundays for the next couple of Sundays, uh, just encourage you to catch up online or on our podcast. Uh, There's lots of ways that you can stay connected even if we're away on holidays, but they're just going to kind of loosely be tied together. Uh, And as we jump into today, we are going right back to the beginning. Now, I was never a huge comic book guy, uh, but when I was growing up, Spider-Man was pretty cool, and, and Batman was also pretty cool, and X-Men were also actually pretty cool. Um, I was never into it that much, though. But Spider-Man was a pretty cool guy because Spider-Man uh, had the powers of a spider, as his name suggests, and most of you probably know who he is. But Spider-Man had the ability to crawl up walls like a spider, and he could shoot webs like a spider, and he was super strong and agile like a spider, and he had spidey sense, like he had this weird intuition where he knew when someone was sneaking up behind him and all of these things. But the coolest thing about Spider-Man is he was just a high school nerd, Uh, that was who the man was. Peter Parker was just a a high school nerd. And then all of a sudden he got infused with powers. And so you might say, well, how does someone become spider-like in their lives? I don't shoot webs out of my hands and I can't climb walls. And there is a story. There is a way that this all came about. Uh, And it's actually where we're going to be going today. But I want to show you just a short clip of what I'm talking about. This is how Spider-Man became Spider-Man. Take a look. Well, now that we've played into everybody's fear of spiders, let's continue with the word this morning. There was a good pickup line in there. Did you see that? She says, don't make me look ugly. He says, that's not possible. That's pretty, pretty good for a nerd in high school. So that is how it all starts. That is how Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man. He's just a normal person, and yet because he gets bitten by this in the movie, I think it's genetically engineered spiders in the original comic books. It was a radioactive spider, uh, and something of the spider's power fuses with him, and so he gets these superpowers. That is how Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man. And we sometimes call this an origin story. And it is how does something become the way it is. And we all have an origin story ourselves. The reason we are the way we are today is because of things that have happened to us in our lives along the way. And even beyond that, there is a much bigger, broader story for all of us. Why is the world the way it is? Why is humanity the way it is? Why is our relationship with God the way it is? Why is there evil in the world? That we have an origin story for all of that. And that is where we are going today. We are going to look at our origin story. Why are we the the way we are. And to find that out, we go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. And so let's look at our text today. We're starting in Genesis chapter 2. If you want to go even further back, you can go to Genesis chapter 1 and read that on your own. But we're in Genesis chapter 2. God is creating everything. And we're going to start in verse 8. And we're going to jump a little bit, but we're going to read a fair chunk of this today. Genesis 2 verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he had put the man he had formed. 
The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We're going to keep going. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel." To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Whew, okay. So, 
Uh, this is our own origin story. This is the picture that Scripture gives to us of why things are the way they are. Uh, Spider-Man is the way he is because he got bitten by a spider. We are not in that story, but in our story, why is there sin in the world? Why is there evil in the world? Why is there tension between men and women as genders? Why is there death at the end of our life? Why have all of these things happened? This is our origin story. This explains why things are the way that they are. We can't actually understand anything about who we are and about who God is and about who Jesus is and why Jesus had to come. We can't really understand any of of that unless we understand this part first. And so this might just be basic recap for some of you. Some of you, it may be new. Uh, we've been praying that there will just be some freshness in the story today, and we're just going to walk through it and just highlight a few things as we go through the text today. So first of all, there were two trees in the garden. And we talk a lot about the tree of life, and we talk a lot about the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there are two trees in the garden. In the middle of the garden, verse 9 says, we're the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there are two trees. They are obviously uh, divine. They are special. They are not normal, typical fruit trees. There is something of God in these trees somehow. So there's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life is there so that those who eat of it will live forever. And that is actually what we were designed to do. That's why God puts that tree in the garden. He is eternal, and we were always to live eternally with him. And so the tree of life was there, and we were allowed to eat from that tree. There was no boundary put on that tree. That tree was there for us, and that was what God wanted, that we would live with him in Eden forever. And then there's this other tree, and it's a bit trickier, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as this tree is there, there is also something divine in there, obviously. Uh, God says to eat of this is to become like me. And Satan's going to use that to, to kind of put a wedge between the woman and God. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the question that often comes up, why would God even plant that tree? Why is that even there, knowing that all of this could have happened? And it's there because that is something of the nature of God. God knows good and evil. And at this point in the world, God has been creating everything, and everything he's creating is good. And yet we know there's this serpent here who is not good. And we won't go into all the theology of Satan. We're going to do a series this fall on spiritual warfare, and we're going to get into some of this stuff in a much deeper level. But uh, Satan was created good because God only makes good things. So Satan was created good. The demons were created good. God only creates good things. And yet, there's this incredible, risky thing God does where he gives us the ability to choose whether we follow him or whether we don't. And all of us have it, and Satan had that choice, and the demons had that choice. And the reason God gives us that choice is because obedience that is forced is not really obedience. Love that is forced is not actually real love. If I saw Sarah for the first time, and I fell for her hard, and I kidnapped her and kept her in a room and never let her talk to another human being and said, I'm all you got, you got to love me. If she said, well, I love you, that love's probably not really sincere or real, right? Because she doesn't have a choice. And part of the power of love is that for whatever reason, I asked Sarah to marry one day, and she said yes. She said, I'll do it. And, and that's what makes love powerful is that we choose to do that. And so there is no love. There's no real worship if it's forced. There's no real devotion to God if it's forced. And so God has given everybody, every living thing, this ability to choose. 
And so Satan chose, I don't want to do that. And scripture says some of the angels chose that as well. And so they went with him. And here we have this story where God is creating this place that is perfect. He has created mankind. At this point, we are perfect. And yet there is evil available because there is a choice available. We can choose to do it God's way or we can choose not to. That choice is available. And so this tree is there representing that, that there is evil in the world. There is sin that has already happened with Satan and the demons. And mankind also has this choice. So these two trees are in the garden, the tree of life, which we are allowed to be a part of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God would prefer we not partake in. And God sets a boundary because of that. God says, there is a line here that I would like you not to cross. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, including the tree of life, which is the best one. You can eat from any tree you want, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There is a boundary that God puts, and we see here there is a reason he puts that boundary there. And this is true of every boundary that God puts in place. Scripture tells us there are things God wants us to do. There are things he does not want us to do. There is a reason for all of them. And almost always, the reason for the boundary is to keep us safe. Just like we tell our kids, don't run into the street. Right? Stay away from the cliff. Don't go into the water by yourselves. We put boundaries around our kids because we don't want harm to come to them. So when God says, do not do this, there's something in us that says, but I want to do that. But God puts a boundary there to keep us safe, and that's what he does here too. If you eat from it, you'll die. God knows how this story ends. We were created to live with him in Eden forever. God says, if you touch this tree, everything's going to change. That eternal life thing is not going to be able to happen. And God doesn't just say, do it because I said so. He gives the reason too, right? Do it because I said so is not his parenting technique. It's, there's a reason I want you to avoid this. Here is the reason, and that is given to us. So up until this point, there's, there's creation happening, and, and Satan has already fallen, but that hasn't touched Eden yet. And so Adam and Eve are here, and there's animals, and there's plants, and there's connection with God. Scripture says they would walk with God literally in the garden. They would be face-to-face with him, and they were in perfect relationship with God. They were in perfect relationship with each other. Creation is in perfect relationship with itself. It's as perfect as it gets. Everything right now, as far as man is concerned, is good and is in. Innocent. And that gets summed up in this verse here, 225. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Uh, there's something about being naked where we know it's not supposed to happen, right? You're supposed to cover up. But with little, 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 little people, they don't have that same sense of shame. Do you remember that with your kids? When I would come home from work when my kids were a bit younger, there were many days where just two little naked people would just tackle me. Where are your clothes? Why, why are you naked at 5 o'clock on a Tuesday? I don't understand. The number of times we would sit down to dinner, Matthew, put some pants on before we eat. Just, and that doesn't happen now because they've gotten a bit older, but there's something in that innocence where it's just it's freeing and it's funny and it's just not something that they're conscious about. But even now, like a year or two later, they've already grown out of that. Uh, and so there's something about the innocence of, of childhood that is just, it's shameless in the most pure and beautiful way. There's nothing weird about it when a little kid does it. It's just something so innocent about that. And in the middle of all this goodness and in the middle of all this innocence, uh, God sets the boundary and says, don't cross this line. 
And there are boundaries set for us as well. And some of those we know from Scripture. There are things that God makes pretty clear he doesn't want us to do. There's some things we just know because there's right and wrong. There's some things that we know because Jesus told us the most important thing in life was to love. And we know that things that are not loving are not good. God wants us to choose the loving way. God wants us to choose the peaceful way. Uh, So we know this. Even if we don't know God's word that well, we all have this sense of right and wrong. There are things that are good and there are things that are bad. And we need to look to scripture to get a clear understanding of that. But there are boundaries in our lives as well. And and for all of us, almost certainly, uh, there are boundaries that we are crossing sometimes. There are things that God says don't do that we do. There are things that God says, I want you to do this, and we don't do that. But there are boundaries that he puts for a reason. And so in the midst of this goodness and this innocence, he sets a boundary. I don't want you to be harmed, so stay away from this tree. But in the midst of all of that innocence, the serpent is there, and he is seeking. And scripture makes clear, it's not crystal clear in this passage, it's pretty obvious. Elsewhere makes crystal clear that this is the devil at work. This is not about a snake, it's about Satan. So the serpent is seeking, he is out for blood, he is out for destruction. He has lost his place in heaven already. He's been booted out for rebelling against God. And so because he can't take God on one on one, he decides to declare war on us. Because scripture says we are the crown jewel of God's creation. We are the ones made in the image of God. And so Satan already lost to God once. God beat him up without even getting out of his chair. Satan got kicked out of heaven without a problem. So Satan can't take God on, so he comes after us. And God, as the father, looks at that and says, Satan's coming after my kids. Uh, So Satan shows up with Eve. This is a very churchy story, if you grew up in Sunday school at all, if you've been around church at all, starting in chapter 3. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent was crafty. Some of the Bible versions say he was subtle. Uh, He doesn't come in guns blazing. He comes in under the radar. He comes in just asking an an innocent-sounding question, and it sounds like he's just looking for clarity. But he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that wasn't at all what God had said, right? God said you can eat from all the trees except one. But there's something about this that was true for Adam and Eve, and it's true for us, that if Satan can get us doubting or questioning God's word, if he can get us out of God's word, if he can get us not reading God's word, if he can get us fighting about God's word, there's just something about this that seems to be a major strategy for him. Right away, the first attack on humanity ever is, did God really say? He's sowing doubt, and he's, he's twisting God's words around. And Eve sort of sees it, but doesn't really. The woman says back, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, did God say don't touch it at all? He didn't say that whatsoever. He had just said don't eat from it. And so you see the the venom of the serpent is already working. He's got her questioning. He's got her remembering things wrong. Uh, The serpent was designing a a plan here to throw humanity off track, to pull them away from God, to get them to do what they weren't supposed to do. And he does it just with the subtlety of a question. Did God really say? And so we need to be aware of that too, because that strategy I don't think has changed a lot. And our job is to to stay in his word, to seek after his word, to understand his word, to help each other, uh, to get a hold of his word. Because if we know his word well, then, then these types of things can't happen quite so easily. But Eve starts to fall into the trap a little bit. 
The serpent responds, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so his first attack is getting them to doubt what God said. His second attack is to get them to doubt in God's goodness, right? God is holding out on you is what Satan is saying. There is a blessing here that he just doesn't want you to have. And again, that was the strategy for Eve, and that's also the strategy for us, that we uh, get, find ourselves constantly in this place of, of struggle and doubt, and often that doubt centers around, is God really good or not? Is he really going to do what he said he would or not? Is he really going to answer this prayer or not? Is he really going to fulfill that dream or not? And we can have the same struggle. And, and Satan, from the beginning, question God's word, question God's goodness. Because if we don't know what his word is, we can go off track. If we don't believe in his goodness, then our faith and our hope dive into the ground. And so Satan starts right there. We're going to attack what God said, and we're going to attack God's goodness. And then he just throws a full-out lie in there. You will not die. He just throws a full-out lie. God has said, you will die. Satan says, that's not true. Don't trust that. And all of that comes together, and it works. The strategy works, and Adam and Eve partake of the, the one tree that God told them not to partake of. And Scripture says, instantly there's a change in them. Instantly, you know, the, the knowledge of good and evil, the understanding of evil and sin and shame, all of a sudden it becomes crashingly real to them. And the reaction is to run away. From God in that moment. Verse 8 of chapter 3. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they used to be face to face with God. They used to walk with him through the garden together. They used to have this incredible intimacy and connection. And the minute they cross the boundary line, the minute they engage in what scripture calls sin, when we cross the line of something God has told us not to do or to do, when they sin for the first time, right away the reaction is is run away from God. Right away, the reaction is pull away. And how many times have we struggled with that ourselves? And how many times have we seen that? Where, oh, it's hard to pray today because I'm struggling with this sin. I don't want to go to church today because I'm, I'm working through something. I can't partake of communion because there's stuff going on in my life. And instead of causing us to run towards God, who is merciful, we, we run away and we pull away. We pull away from other people. We put our shields up. We pull away from God. We back away from him. And so in this moment, uh, everything changes. And their relationship with God is profoundly affected. But their relationship with one another is also profoundly affected. There's only two people on the planet in this story. That's not a lot of people to have conflict with. But right away, conflict is there. And so God says, what happened here? What did you do? And does Adam stand up like a man and say, Lord, you gave me a clear boundary and I crossed it. I apologize. He goes, it was the woman. There's one person in the world he can blame and he blames her. He throws her under the bus. And he doesn't just blame her. He says, it was the woman that you gave me. I'm just saying, I wasn't eating fruit before she showed up. And so you were the one who thought this was all a good idea. And so right away, he turns on her. When God says to her, what did you do? She says, it was the devil. It's the first time someone says, the devil made me do it. And so no one is taking responsibility. It's right away, the blame starts shifting. Right away, they turn on each other. Their relationship with God is broken in this moment. Their relationship with each other is broken in this moment. And it is the beginning of all of that trouble that comes when we lose our connection to God and when we don't love each other the way that we should. 
Right away, they cross the line. Right away, things begin to shift. They pull away from God, and they pull away from one another, and consequences fall on them because of this. Part of this is divine judgment. Part of this is just the natural consequence of what they did. And so to the woman, God says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. If you've wondered why that happens, this is your origin story, ladies. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So we see the, the Adam and Eve relationship, which was perfect and loving uh, and, and equal up until this point, has been ruptured now. And a friend of mine who's a pastor told me that when they were at the hospital having their first baby, in the pain of the moment, his wife literally yelled out, Thanks a lot, Eve, as this was going on. <laughs> so that comes into the picture, but also uh, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And the, the curse comes upon the woman that, you know, you will long for this relationship, this intimacy. You're going to long for what you had. But ladies, men are just going to bulldoze over you. And that is what a fallen world is going to look like. Men are just going to put you in the, your place, and, and that's going to be part of pretty much all of human history in every culture in the world. Not universally, but uh, it's part of our origin story, so that kind of makes sense, that this man is just going to rule over you, and what was equal and beautiful is going to be broken, uh, and, and that's going to be part of the consequence of this thing. To the man, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so Adam had work to do in the garden. Like it says that God put him in the garden to work it and to take care of the land and to take care of the animals. But apparently it didn't really feel like work because the big shift that comes here basically is that life is now going to be hard. Right? You're going to lose the peace and the grace that you had in Eden. You're going to have to toil. Right? There's going to be stress. Work is going to be a burden. It's going to be something that you have to work at and struggle through, and that's what life is going to be like. And the end of that, by the way, is that you're going to return to the earth. Death has now entered the picture, which was something that God never wanted. Right? God's desire was, eat from this tree of life. Keep your innocence. Stay with me in this garden forever. And when we chose not to do that, the natural consequence fell. And one of those things was death, which we'll get to in a second. But the point was there were reasons God said, do not do this. There were reasons that he said not to do that. And every time he tells us not to do something, there are reasons he tells us not to do that. And we don't maybe always understand the reasons, but when he says don't do it, there's a reason. When he says do it, there's a reason. And when we don't listen to those commandments, when we cross those boundaries, we also reap the consequences of the action he was trying to get us to avoid. Not because he's controlling, not because he's trying to ruin our fun, but because he knows the damage that sin does. And so he puts up the boundaries and says, do not cross those boundaries, stay safe, which is exactly what he said to Adam and Eve. And don't blame Adam and Eve, because there's absolutely no evidence that if you or I were in the garden back then, that we wouldn't have done the exact same thing. Because when I look at my life, I've crossed God's boundaries all over the place, and so have you. This is the human condition. And there is something in us, we'll get a bit into this next week, that when someone says, don't do it, something in us says, I really want to do it. I really want to cross that line. And so there were reasons God said 
Uh, and in this moment, they had a choice. I can choose Satan's way or I can choose God's way. And they chose to go Satan's way. And these consequences fall because of it, just like when Satan rebelled and consequences fell on him because of that. So now God has this creation that is broken now at this point. And he has humanity who he loves. And again, Scripture says we are made in the image of God. We are the best part of his creation. We are his favorite part of what he made. We are made in his image. And of all of creation, there is nothing else like us. And he loves us intensely. And now we have chosen Satan's way. And now death has entered the picture. And we have chosen sin and evil. And so now sin and evil are a part of who we are. Because we have all said in one way or another, I will choose Satan's way. I'd rather go that way than go God's way. So sin and evil are now a part of it. And the problem is that evil needs an end date. God doesn't want evil to last forever. And so in verse 22, 23, God says, The man is now like one of us, knowing good and evil. Evil is a part of him now. He has chosen sin. Because of that, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banishes them from the garden. If sin and evil are part of who we are and we can eat of the tree of life, that means sin and evil are going to last forever. That means sin and evil will be eternal. And God's in his perfection, says, I can't have that. I can't have evil and sin and hurt and, and sickness and everything. I can't have that be around forever. And so God says, that's the consequence of, of eating from the tree that I told you not to. So sin and evil have become a part of who you are. I can't let you eat from the other tree now because if that happens, then sin and evil are going to be eternal. There will never be an end to bad things happening. They will exist forever. So God says you are cut off then from the tree of life. Isaiah 53, 6, you hear me say this one. Often we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own away. It is our choice. We have all made that choice. And when death enters the picture, it's not because God is just angry and wants to punish us. It's because we had access to life and we chose to walk away from it. We chose to go a different direction than what God wanted. So death comes not because God is just so furious at us. Death comes because we cut ourselves off. We walked away. We made bad choices. We chose to go our own way. Like a sheep, we walked away from the safety of the shepherd. And as we've walked away from the safety of the shepherd, we're now open to being afflicted by the wolves of this world. And so we made that choice. And when Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, that is what it's talking about. Just the consequence of those choices is that we die, is that we don't have access to that tree of life. They are the natural consequences. So this is pretty heavy so far, right? This is not a jump up and down and cheer kind of sermon so far. But even in all of this, even in all of this, we made the choice. We had everything, and we still made the choice for what we wanted that God said don't touch. We made that choice. We naturally are reaping the consequences of those actions. In the middle of all of our screw-ups in this story, grace and mercy still show up in an incredible way because God is gracious and he is merciful. And so we see it in what he says to the serpent in 3.15. I will put enmity, there will be tension, struggle between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I love this so much because sin has been in the world for like two minutes. And right away God says, I have a plan to fix this whole thing. 
And so this is the first conversation we have in Scripture that is pointing to Jesus to come. And he says to the woman, or he says to the serpent, that out of this woman that you deceived, one is going to come, serpent, who is going to crush your head. You're going to get beat at the end of this story. And you tried to take down humanity, but I'm going to use humanity to take you down. And we're going to get more into that next week a little bit. But So right away, as soon as sin enters the picture, God says, I've got a plan to make this right. And it's not going to happen tomorrow, but I am going to make this right. Grace and mercy show up. There's a little line in here, too, that's almost like a throwaway line. But in 321, after the curse has fallen, the consequences have fallen, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Like, how beautiful is that? He wanted them innocent forever. They chose not to do that. But then it's just like God said, well, I know you feel weird about the nakedness now, so I'm going to cover you up. Like, that's actually what love looks like. Even though you caused this, even though you screwed it up, I'm still here for you. I'm still thinking of you. I still love you. I'm covering you. I'm covering your shame. And I'm going to do that much more literally later through Jesus. But I'm covering this all up for you. Last part of this, we don't get back to God by ourselves. We can't get back. An angel was put there. Cherubim is an angel. There's an angel and a sword there blocking the way. Could not be more clear. Scripture says you don't get back to the tree of life on your own. You cannot find your way back to God by yourself. And, and this might be just kind of basic for some of us who've been around church for a while. Verse 24, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So God can't let evil live forever. So we have been cut off. We chose to go that way. And so we can't get back there by ourselves, and that would be a really sad end to the story if that was actually the end of the story. But part of the reason this is here is just so we can acknowledge, I can't live forever on my own. I can't get right with God on my own. I can't get back to heaven on my own. I can't earn my way back there. I can't fight my way back there. I can't accomplish my way back there through my good actions. But that actually doesn't mean that we can't get back. Because where we acknowledge we can't save ourselves, God has said, I will save you. I will save you. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's one of the great verses in all of Scripture. Jesus came because we were lost. We were cut off. Like a sheep, we have wandered away. Jesus came to find that sheep, to bring us back into relationship with God, to bring us back to heaven, to bring us back to hope, to bring us back to peace, and not just to bring us back one day later on down the road when we pass away, but to bring us back starting now, and to start to heal now, and redeem now, and restore now, and bring us back to life now. The Son of Man has come to save which was lost, and that is all of us. And the offer is there for anybody who takes Jesus' hand and he says, come and live with me. It's there for all of us. And we'll talk more about what Jesus actually does and how that happens next week. But Jesus, in a nutshell, says all the consequences of that sin, all the consequences of that evil, Jesus stood up and said, put all of those consequences on me. I will take all those consequences. I will pay the price for all those consequences. Even death, I will take that price. I will do that for them because I love them so much. 
And so where we can't get back ourselves, where we can't save ourselves, where we were cut off from life because of the choices that we made, and again, it's easy to go, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, but we all still do that. We are all a part of that together, where we were cut off from life. We are now welcomed back to life because of what Jesus has done, where he says, I will make the way for you. You can't save yourself. I will save you. In the name Jesus, literally the word Jesus means the Lord saves. Not we save ourselves. The Lord saves. He saves us. And so as we just ponder this, come on up, worship team, there's not maybe tons of practical application to this. This was just, I just wanted us to look at this story. If you have any questions, we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and we're happy to answer those questions and grab a coffee if you want and keep the conversation going. But... This is our origin story. This is why we are the way we are. This is why we have become what we have become. This is why the world is the way it is. This is our origin story. And so our job for the here and now is to, to see how this story has affected us and how it continues to affect us. And to say, where in my life right now are there boundary lines that I am crossing? Where in my life are there things that I'm not supposed to be doing, that I am doing? or things that I should be doing, good things that I'm not doing. Like Adam and Eve crossed the boundary, where am I crossing the boundary? Part of this for our reflection is to go, is to just to re-acknowledge or maybe acknowledge for the first time, I, I have cut myself off from God and I can't get back to him by myself. I can't save myself. I need to be saved. I need to be brought back by what Jesus did. So it's acknowledging that, that I can't save myself no matter how hard I work. And even we might believe that if you've been a Christian for a while, you might believe that in terms of your eternity. And yet at the same time, we still carry this kind of works thinking in our lives of I'll get the blessing if I just. And we, we want to accomplish these things instead of just trusting in the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. We want to be aware of where Satan is attacking because he's not really doing anything today that he hasn't always been doing where he gets us out of God's word, questioning God's word, ignoring God's word. Uh, where he can get us turning on each other and angry with each other, where he can get us doubting God's goodness so that we don't believe that good things could happen if we pray and if we trust and if we look to his goodness. And then we acknowledge just that we need that Savior. We need that help in life. And as we do that, uh, we often say here, the right response is, is gratitude, right? It, it has to be. You didn't save yourself. He came and saved you. The right response to that is always worship. It is always thanksgiving. And we're going to do that for a few more minutes before we close. So would you stand with me, please, as the worship team leads us. And Father, as we just sang, we thank you that your glory was revealed to us. We thank you that your grace has been revealed to us. And we thank you that your love prevailed in the face of evil, in the face of sin. Your love paved the way, a way for us to come to you. We thank you that now we can come to you and be redeemed and be restored. And we thank you we can bless your name and praise your name this morning. We love you. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I will see you next week. Have a great week.